Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining me on the Fail Spectacularly podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Kurkowski, and today I'm sharing a conversation with Sue Barra. I met Sue virtually in 2020, and we've been getting to know each other through shared interests and connecting more deeply with nature. In today's conversation, Sue and I talk about engaging the mystery and what that looks like through each of our lenses as environmental educators. We offer our perspectives on the benefit of widening the commonly held definition of Western science to include other forms of evidence-based wisdom. And we explore the beauty of learning to listen with our sixth sense of intuition, which involves wonder, trust, and reawakening our imagination. So grab a cup of tea or put on your walking shoes and enjoy this offering. Welcome, Fail Spectacularly podcast listeners. I am so excited to be here today with Sue Barra. And um, I hope we hopefully have our technology figured out. <laughs> we had a half an hour delay trying to get all that to work. Um, but I trust, we trust that it's all going to go swimmingly from here on in. Um, so I'm very excited to bring Sue's wisdom to you today. I trust in the last months and the last time we spoke to each other that you had a wonderful month and um, I'm sure we're in for some wonderful wisdom today. So um, as I began my last podcast, we're going to start with the who are you haiku. Um, this is the way that I'd love to just, or I'm starting to love to um, introduce ourselves to you, to our listeners. Um, and so my who are you haiku goes like this. Somewhere beyond rain, sun and moon faces beaming, violets dream sweet. So that is where I'm standing at this moment in time. It is actually, in fact, raining outside of my door. Um, but just the mystery of what is beyond the rain and the dreaming, daydreaming or nighttime dreaming. Either way, it's swirling all around in my head right now. So I want to introduce you to you all to Sue. And hello, Sue. Thank you for braving this podcast. <laughs> Hi, Melissa. Thanks for inviting me. I'm like, fail spectacularly. Um, yep, I can help. <laughs> yes, check. We did that already. Working out the tech. Great. <laughs> Perfect. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to be chatting with you. And I want to invite you to share your who are you haiku? Who are you at this moment? Oh, thank you. I love this idea of introducing yourself with a haiku. Um, so here's mine. This earthen vessel holds infinite connection to all creation. And so that's kind of my aspect of uh, remembering I'm connected to nature, to everything that is and have access to wisdom and help. And I'm never, never in things alone. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, engaging the mystery of life. Uh, you know, so that's where I'm at. Mm, I love that. And you had said that before, engaging the mystery when we chatted earlier. And I just, oh, that just is so resonant with me. I love that, that saying, because I feel like as educators, we're both environmental educators for some time, like 
to me, I feel like that was my goal. And so we got into a really interesting conversation about science <laughs> in our pre-chat um, and talking about engaging the mystery and science. I think that might be a place that um, I'd like to start off with. Um, but first, actually, I should probably back up a little bit and invite you to talk a little bit into um, since we are failing spectacularly, like when you hear that, what is that elicit? Like, what does that bring up in you? Well, uh, you know, when I first saw your uh, note about the podcast, I was like failing spectacularly. I'm like, yeah, I'd kind of like to leave that behind. It's not something I want to remember because <laughs> like who wants to note our spectacular failures? Usually we try to skip them, right? But um but really, since you've started this in the past couple of months, I've thought about it. I was like, well, actually, that's really expansive to be able to be willing to fail and then get up and keep going and and kind of shifting the perspective of, um, you know, I have perfectionist tendencies. So um, being afraid of failing is definitely holds me back at times. Right. So um but being able to flip that perspective into like, I'm going to fail a lot before it works, right? It's like anything else. <laughs> we have to practice whatever it is that we're new to learning. And it's okay to be not good at it when we're new. Like that perfectionist part of me forgets that. So I love the concept of failing spectacularly. And it's actually inspiring me to be like, go out there and fail. That means that you're trying. It means you're learning. Um, you're experimenting. That's what it's all about. Um, you know, we're here on the earth, I think, to explore and learn. And so I'm trying to remember that part that like I knew as a kid, right? You just want to learn. You just go out there and try things. And um, so that's where I'm at with it is like trying to just expand. <laughs> I love that. And I think like, for me as an educator, um, that was a constant reminder of like being with kids for me was a reminder of like, you're never, you know, it's, it's never, um, a bad time to be new at something and no matter where you are in your life, we can always be new at something, but then that kind of relationship to being new to something I know in me I also share the perfectionism streak <laughs> um, um, it definitely is something that I like I forget how to be new at something and I forget like you said that it's okay to be new and to be not good at it when we're new but as an adult it's like no it's you know I'm new at this but I'm gonna do it the right way the first time as if you know there is a right way there's my air quotes um but with kids it's like they're new at almost everything and it's our job as educators to guide them along their learning but then also something that took me some time to learn was to as an educator model that feeling of it's okay to not be good when you're learning and I'm similar I'm, I'm curious if you found similar things um, when you were teaching? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel like, you know, if you're a teacher with children, that's, you know, being a teacher is hard because you can plan everything all you want. And then the nature of being human and things is like, it won't go as planned. R rarely does it actually go how you envisioned it in your head. If you add in children to the mix and then outdoor teaching about nature, 
it's like a whole cauldron of <laughs> excitement <laughs> and and active molecules bumping into each other and we don't know what's going to happen right it's it the unexpected becomes the norm right so we have to learn to roll with the punches when it's pouring outside and you're supposed to teach an insect program and there's no insects to be had because they right. took shelter <laughs> <laughs> or you spent 30 minutes at a stream and nobody caught anything because they're not, you know, they didn't watch the instructions and learn how to use the nets. So nobody's doing and you, you can't seem to fix it no matter what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so you learn to laugh and roll with it. So, uh, yeah, being an educator uh, with the kids, definitely. Uh, and working with nature, I think it keeps us humble. And it's like that dose of humility that maybe can help us recover from the mistakes. It's like, that's okay. You know, <laughs> like you try to be gentle with the kids, but I was never quite as gentle with myself. Yes, and definitely. I definitely resonate with that as well, because it was like, you know, I have my, my teacher vest on and I step in there and it's like, oh, it's okay. You didn't get that right the first time. Or, you know, it's okay if we didn't catch something down at the pond or like constantly that like compassionate. And then I, you know, step out of that role and it's like, what do you mean you forgot to pay that bill? And it's <laughs> like to myself and <laughs> or, you know, the real life things that, but yeah, it's, it, we forget to have that compassion, you know, for ourselves as adults, there's that expectation and that perfectionism that just is like, no, it's gotta, you know, you gotta do it right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and being with kids for so many years definitely um, helped me to remember that. But then I also had to very intentionally infuse it into my life. It's like, okay, the lesson was there over and over and over again of like what I could teach myself <laughs> through working with kids. But like, I had to actively engage in that teaching toward myself. Like I had to actively offer myself compassion. And yeah, that's been hard to like remember. <laughs> it, it is, I know. Um, and you know, I think for me, well, cause I already had a perfectionist thing but you're working as a teacher and we have a, uh, we're supposed to be professional, right? You're supposed to be accurate. We're teaching science-based programming. So it's got to meet the standards. Um, and then you got to be professional and it's real easy, even though you have to like play and do games with the kids to get them to learn. Sometimes I wasn't allowing myself to play and I get really caught up in being like overly serious and trying to be professional. <laughs> <laughs> and when I, when I do play and I relax and just like let things flow, it's so much a more pleasant, it's easier. And I'm also way more fun, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I get so uptight about doing it quote unquote, right. That I forget the play part. And, you know, so, so kids keep us humble too. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. Um, and that, that willingness to fail piece, I feel like is um, it's becoming more and more important that adults model that for each other, <laughs> for, ch for children particularly, but like very much so, um, but also for each other. I think, um, you know, being around other people who have been willing to try things and willing to just see how it works um, and roll with the punches and, and, you know, shift and, and change as necessary. Um, 
has shown me like, okay, that it's possible. Like if they can do it, maybe I can do it. <laughs> it gives me a little hope. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's something we need to model, except I don't know why adulting has to be so serious. Like, <laughs> Mm. You know? Yes. Amen. (laughs) It's like, I remember talking to my sister like a few months ago and she's going through some major life changes and she's like, you know, I used to be fun. I remember when I was fun. I want that back. And I was like, I so get that. Like, when did we stop being like fun people? Like we're funny. We're exuberant. We love nature. We love kids. We love all these things. Like, when did I stop loving life so much at times? And it's just like, oh my gosh, the world's so serious. I'm like, yeah, but I don't have to sit in it all the time, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So I think this, you know, like I said, I really was inspired by the concept of your podcast and it's really informing the shift that I'm going through in my own work. Um, you know, my focus is in, I'm a, I'm, I'm a naturalist and an habitat steward Um but primarily I'm also an herbalist. And so my work with the plants and how I engage with them is starting to shift. And um, I'm really wanting to take it more into the, how do we re-engage our kinship with nature, with the plants, with what we would call in science, the non-living portions of like, you know, rocks and stones and clouds and water, and those aren't living things. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. I think they're just maybe different or like, let's, let's re-examine, um, you know, we still have a relationship to them in our world. Um, and so I really hold more of an indigenous viewpoint. And so like trying to roll all these into like, how do I go forward? If I'm not willing to fail spectacularly and learning how to be in better relationship with the trees, then I'm not going to get anywhere because, you know, they're not going to put their leaves together and move their mouths and talk to me in English. Like, that's (laughs) not how this is going to work out. Me understanding, you know, why they're here on my land and what they need and what I need from them and how we can be in a healthy ecosystem that also helps us have clean water and clean air and things so that all living beings can exist coexist peacefully, um, you know, I'm going to have to fail a lot while I'm remembering how to communicate with nature. <laughs> mm. The rest of nature, I should say, because humans are nature, we just forget. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, failing, it's like, it, it's in reminding me to just keep trying, try again. Did you get it? Nope. Okay. Try again. You know, if you were learning how to get it, ride a bike, it's a very linear process, right? We understand that, it's going to take time to get the muscle memory and balance and all of those things. That's easier to understand and forgive our mistakes than me saying, well, I'm trying to understand why I have these invasive species showing up in my yard. I'm trying to understand what's going on in this wetland. Why is there Japanese honeysuckle here? Is it something that's missing here? Do I just need to remove it? Is it is it offering something to the native flora and fauna that I don't understand yet because science, Western science shows us that invasive species are a problem. Well, maybe there's more to that question that I haven't seen. So how can I engage the scientific method? How can I engage my curiosity? How can I engage my newness where I don't have an assumption yet about what's happening here and just say, huh, I wonder what's happening here. And, you know, maybe it's that that child's mindset of like just exploring that I'm trying to reconnect with. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. Um, 
but so this, you know, this concept of failing, I, I'm, I'm switching it to it. It's about learning, right? It's just learning. Um, failing is just a judgment. <laughs> like, okay, it, it means I didn't work in the way I wanted it to or expected it to do. So we could redefine that, what failing means, right? It can just be, well, that's part of the process. Okay, we could normalize that. I love that to normalize it um, because we've talked about, you know, that reframing that word fail. It's such a heavy word in our culture, but it's so true. And that's like the whole premise is like fail spectacularly. It's not meant to be heavy. It's meant to be light and lifting. And like, like you're saying, it didn't work. Let's try it. It didn't work. Okay. Try it again. You know, that reframing of doing things in a new way um, until you, you know, until you get the outcome that you're hoping for, or even just until something works out that helps move you forward in a positive way, because it might work out differently, but still be good. (laughs) Exactly. Isn't it always those things that we don't plan, like the side trips where it's spontaneous and you just like, I'm just going to try this. You didn't have any really thoughts or plans, or I'm just going to take this road trip and it's not planned out. Those are the most ecstatic experiences of our life, right? You know? Um, and it's like, why do I not let more of those in? Cause I, I like to plan. I like to control things. I am a perfectionist and I'm like, oh, th- I think that has run the gamut. I need to do something different now. <laughs> <laughs> That's exhausting. <laughs> yes. That is like the ultimate question. Why do I not let more of this in? Like we see, you know, like, um, you know, we're saying like, we used to be fun. And, and I feel that same way. And it's like, I used to play more. And it's like, all right, well, why don't I play now? Or, uh, you know, I used to engage in nature in a, in a more playful way. Well, why don't I do that now? I used to take more risk with even just my crafts. <laughs> like, why don't I do that now? Um, and that's the really basic, simple stuff, let alone, you know, the harder stuff, but that has room for play too. Um, I feel like there's room for play everywhere. Right. And I love how you said engage my newness. That Mm -hmm. is such a great way. I love that, that framing of having that childlike mindset, you know, we foster, I feel like as an educator, as a teacher, a guide, I'm my biggest role. My most important role is to foster that sense of wonder and like, it doesn't matter what the topic is. It doesn't matter if they retain facts. It's not about that. It's about that curiosity and stoking that in each child and hopefully in each adult that is also engaging with us um, just to, to keep that going because that's where the uniqueness has come out and each person is like, what are you curious about? But just engaging and and stirring up and keeping alive that sense of wonder and that you know desire and curiosity um is so important so i love that engaging my newness Um, i'm gonna use that going forward (laughs) yeah it's you know and it's like i i've forgotten i i used to teach like when i would do like basic herbalism classes or basic things with it with even adults and i'm like you know you're new at this that's actually a really powerful place to be, you know, or like when, um, you know, my kids got their first job and I'm like, you're new at this. They're like, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming. And I'm like, I know it is. And you have a really unique perspective 
to offer the people that you're working with. You see things from a new point of view. You can see where things are working well and maybe where things aren't. Or, you know, like we forget how to be new at times, right? You know, um, we forget what it's like to be learning something new and, you know, like go to a job the first day and somebody forgot to tell you where the bathrooms are. You know, like that's really important, basic yeah. body care, you know, <laughs> or, or like, do, do we take a break at lunch? Is it paid? Like what's, you know, like all these basic things, um, like being, being new is such a unique perspective because you see things so differently. It's like, you're not tainted from any experience yet. And it's all just from a point of wonder. Mm. And, and usually anxiety given, you know, because <laughs> there's usually anxiety too. But, but it's really actually a point of power. I think we have the opportunity to really sometimes see things as they are, maybe mm. more clearly, rather than being colored by our experience yet. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because we do, we get boxed in by the familiar. Yes. And just like get it. And that's where like routines come in and, and some routines are very beneficial and helpful and like self-care, especially those kinds of things. Um, and some routines are necessary, but then there's this whole scope of routines are ways we just go about our life that just become autopilot and right. get lost the opportunities throughout the entire day get lost like I love the thing that um someone said they're like brush your teeth with your opposite hand and see what happens like <laughs> mind-blowing like, yeah I don't remember if that was like in your group or that you posted that or what but um it was somewhere I saw that in the last like month and I was talk like, about fail spectacularly I can see the toothbrush all right. over my <laughs> Right. But like, it's that brain shift of like, just forcing you out of that box of familiarity of like, the way things are always done. And that, you know, and the implications for that, to widen that, like, what if we did things differently? What if we went in with that new perspective to the job we're already in? What if we into a relationship whether we're new to it or it's existing, like what if we stepped back and opened up that sense of wonder and curiosity and newness, allowed for that newness? What if we allowed for that newness as we engage with the earth? Like what could that look like? What, what could come out of that? We don't know. And how exciting could that be? Like that we don't know. <laughs> Engaging the mystery. Yeah. And that that sense of wonder, um, like, like you totally nailed it as, as educators, that's what we're always trying to encourage is that curiosity, because that's what's going to help us learn, right? That wonder is what it keeps us present. It keeps us in the moment, in our bodies, aware of like how we feel. It, it like fine tunes our senses, including our sixth sense of that, like those instinctual things. Um, and if we're present, we don't have things like anxiety creeping in as often. Um, we're focused on a singular task and it's like time stops. There's plenty of time. You're like, oh my gosh, I felt like I was communing with nature for three hours and you're like two minutes, you know? <laughs> well, like it's yeah. like time opens up. Like, you know, about five years ago, I um, I started, I had, I had to like 
get, take my watch off. And I was like, uh, I kind of use this for, you know, programming got to be at a different place and all the different stations. And like, I was having a rash. And so I took it off and I treated the rash with my salve and I washed my, cause I had like one of those Timex, you know, whatever or can beat it up in the, in the field, um, washed it off, disinfected it, you know, gave it a couple of days, put it back on. I could not wear a watch. I tried wearing a different watch, like a really good jewelry watch. I had to stop wearing a watch altogether, all of a sudden. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, you could set a timer on your phone. And I was like, what is this about? Every time I put a watch back on and it didn't matter which one, I would get a rash. And I was like, hmm, maybe the lesson here is to stop watching the clock entirely. Like just start to trust yourself that we do have an innate sense of timing that is tied in with nature. It's tied in with that, our instinctual senses. And um, like, so I haven't worn a watch since then. And I just started using my, my phone if I needed to have appointments or set alarms. And I have found that I have more time now that I don't watch the clock than I ever have in my entire life. The minute I stopped focusing on, oh, I got 15 minutes left before I go, the more time I had it was the most, it's like one of those Zen paradoxes, you know wow. what I mean? Like <laughs> the less I focused it and I've had the same thing happen with like money, like, okay, money's getting tight. You got to like really watch your pennies and stuff. The more I watched it and the more I over-focused on it, the less money I had when I finally let go and be like, you know what, this is going to work out. The easier it's been and I don't worry about it. And it's like, we always have what we need. So it's like this whole <laughs> Yeah. Interesting, like, you know, concept of abundance because that's mm. what nature is and like re-stepping back into that. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Abundance. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly the word that I was thinking as you're saying that. I'm like, yes, it turns out it, the, 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 the um, hidden mystery is that we do have abundant time, <laughs> right? <laughs> That is and the secret of the universe. You're welcome. Yes. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have abundant time. We have abundant money. We have abundant resources. We have what we need. And, and that's so interesting, like, how you found, like, when you stopped focusing on it. So it wasn't like you were searching for the abundance, like the proof of the abundance. You trusted. You trusted the abundance and how far out of our scientific minds is it you and I is like <laughs> scientists yeah. to let go of the like the data spreadsheets of my budget <laughs> plan and like trust <laughs> it, it is it's the total opposite of western science yeah. and and I'm so grateful that um when I went to herb school I was trained by somebody who's raised Cherokee and so being able to have that indigenous perspective worldview um, and, and the ability, you know, I was taught that when I was, we made medicine, I was taught that, you know, you make an offering to the plants of tobacco. You ask for permission to harvest plants. They're living beings, you know, like that's basic respect. That's basic reciprocity. We are in relationship with these amazing elders that have been on the planet way longer than us and so I'm kind of grateful like you know because most of my life I was like a science girl right like I loved science it answered my questions about the mysteries of life <laughs> you know there was data I like data yes, I like evidence <laughs> same <laughs> you know? but indigenous practices 
are evidence-based practices. We have, you know, like Egyptian medicine, Yunani Tib, Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, like our herbal medicine systems, thousands and thousands of years old. They work because there's evidence that it's worked over time and time and time again. Like humans have been using plants as medicine for way longer than, um, you know, pharmaceuticals, you know, which are only a couple, less than 200 years old. So um, being able to, when, the, you know, I had this little exercise with, I couldn't wear a watch. I kept breaking out with it. I'm like, I'm allergic to time. And I was like, <laughs> like, like literally that's where I was like, okay, then let's see what happens here. I was able to be like, okay, I could kind of hear like my teacher in my, in the back of the head, just like, let it go. Go, go on nature time, like trust yourself. And so the more I have stepped into listening to some of that, um, that wisdom, remembering it. And, you know, when I go outside, opening up my, my instinctual senses and being like, what do I notice today? What's going on in the yard? Oh my gosh, the, the barred owl is out at 5 PM and oh, here comes the red-tailed hawk and oh, there's the crows. Everybody's fighting over the territory today. Like what's happening? You know, like, hey, that's really cool that I could see the barred owl in my backyard, you know, <laughs> um, you know, like what's happening here? What are the plants? What new interesting plants are coming into my yard? And why are they here this year? They weren't here that last year. Where'd they come from? <laughs> like, what is that? I don't know you. <laughs> um, so like letting go of those, you know, concepts of, of time, the, the logic, the linear, um, having some indigenous practices and teachers has been like such a blessing to be able to be like, okay, well, I would say that indigenous traditions are a kind of science because they're evidence-based. They're just different than the ones we know, right? Yeah. So a different way to engage the mystery. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so true. And I love how you put that of like, it is evidence-based. It is science. It's just different than what we know. Like I grew up with the same. I was so interested in nature. And then I remember getting my first little um, child's hardcover field guide to reptiles and amphibians. And I think I still have it somewhere. <laughs> and I was just like over the moon excited that I could identify what creatures were and then it told me about their habits and habitats and you know what they ate and how big they might grow and those very factual based things whereas before I was just playing with them like I would pick up the garter snake and at one point I remember one summer I we had the um, volleyball net up and I actually tried to see if the garter snake would like weave in and out of the net <laughs> I'd like to apologize officially to all of the creatures of my childhood. <laughs> I, I often send a little blessing to them for their patience with me. <laughs> um, snakes and toads alike. Mm. But like there was that element of play and engagement. And then I feel like when I got that book of knowledge you know, that scientific resource, it felt powerful. And so like, that's where the rest of my track went in my life is like, I got to get the field guides and I've got to get the facts and the knowledge. And it wasn't until the last four or five years or so of teaching for me where I was at that um, I really started thinking about like, there's another layer here and I had been interested in indigenous wisdom for a long time, um, but never delved 
deep enough to, I guess, um, really infuse it into my knowing, into my, my experiences and, 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 and really significantly into my teaching, like a dabble kind of here and there. But the last four years, I was like, no, there's, there's something missing because there's something more that I'm not seeing. But I continued along the track of like that box of familiarity. This is what's always taught. I'm at this, you know, nature center that like has a way of doing things. And we're working with um, scout groups that have their manuals and with schools that have gobs of manuals <laughs> from state and federal and, you know, trying to appease with facts. And it was hard to stretch out of that. Um, and at some point I tried and I like, was like looking around like, okay, who's thinking I'm weird, but like, it feels right. But like, I, like, I feel like I might be being judged as a weirdo for like asking that child if they asked permission to the tree for borrowing some pine needles, but like, it felt right. And so like, it felt like stumbling back into what I knew as a kid that, that scientific learning just like hid for a while and and I love science there is a place in our world for science for sure but it's like you're saying it's not the only way and it's science and it's like what's the other science what else can we do to um, add to and buoy up and nourish and enrich what we're already like what our, where our minds are already going with the, the data and the facts. Like, how do we bring in that other sense of intuition and model that for children and for others and, and, and allow ourselves to do that without feeling like the oddball a person out? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, I know it, that I think we both, we, we talked on our pre-chat about feeling that there's another layer here and, but we're both science nerds and, and, and we like knowledge and facts and all the things, but there's another level of things. Right. And I think, uh, you know, I would kind of fall back to the, like, well, this is a living being. And so it's good to like ask permission about things and be respectful to other living beings. So it's okay to ask the tree if we can have some of its leaves today. Or, you know, we can frame it in a way like that's just respect. Like, I think that's being respectful of living beings. That doesn't have to be weird or spiritual or any of that. That I think is just that could just be normal, too. <laughs> right. Let's normalize identifying yeah. all creatures as equal beings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like kids are so much more open to that. Um, the one year when I was teaching an arbology uh, summer camp as a group of nine to 12 year olds, which is the perfect age group to introduce herbs to um, because mm -hmm. they're excited, they're curious, um, they're not too sassy yet when they hit that middle school year, <laughs> you know, they get to seventh grade, <laughs> they get a little sassy, um, you know, so they're still like young enough to be really excited and follow the, the rules and guidelines mostly. And um, I, it was like the fourth day and we had been talking about respect and I had been bringing in some like uh, indigenous medicine as, and teaching the kids about it. And I had taught them about like, I was taught to offer, um, you know, tobacco or make, make an offering to a plant when, when you need medicine. Well, I woke up like Thursday morning with a vicious earache 
And I was like, what the heck? It's the middle of summer. Like I haven't been swimming. There's no real reason. And I had been feeling that I needed to talk about and introduce mullen. Um, so verbascum thapsis all week. And we just, it just hadn't gotten timing wise, wasn't working in. And when I woke up with that earache, I was like, oh boy, this is mullen telling me <laughs> that you will talk to those kids to me <laughs> about me today. And I was like, oh, so I got up. I canceled what we were going to do first thing. I got in. I'm like, hey, Miss Sue, woke up with an ear infection. So we are going to go right up the hill. I'm going to introduce you to Mullen, and we are going to harvest this in a sacred way. So here's what we're going to do. And I laid out what we were going to do for them. And I wasn't sure like how this was going to work out because I had like six boys, six girls, and the boys were really squirrely as they are as nine to 12 year old <laughs> children. <laughs> they were just a really active group. So I had to like keep shifting to be like, okay, let's run around. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to work out. But as I went through the whole process of explaining what we were going to do, you could hear a pin drop. Mm. Every single one of them, even my counselor who was also like, Eagle Scout, very excitable, loud, kind of could shout across and, you know, mountains and people could hear him kind of thing. Everybody quieted and centered themselves without me having to ask for that. I'm like, we're going to go up the hill. We are going to ask the mullen. We're going to look for the biggest mullen plant on the top of the hill and ask if we may harvest some mullen flowers. Every, and if we get a yes, everybody's going to pick one blossom. We're just going to take what we need. I'm going to make an ear oil. We're going to let it sit in the sun for a few hours. And then I'm going to take this home and I'm going to put it in my ears tonight. <laughs> and um, so we took the kids up to the top of the hill. And that year I had never seen so much mullen on the top of the hill. Wow. I was like, it was, it was insane. I've never seen it. They were taller than me, um, like multiple stalks. And the kids were like, wow. And they're like, okay, we're looking for the king of the hill, right? And I'm like, oh, yes, exactly. The biggest, <laughs> tallest plant. They totally got it. And they're like, all of them pointing the same one, that one. They all pointed to the same one. So I'm like, okay, we're going to we're gonna go over here. I was like, you guys are going to stand out here because it was like in the middle of the meadow. I'm like, we're not going to all tromp through the meadow. This is a native meadow for birds, even though Mullen's not a native, but I'm like, we're not going to stomp all over the wood, you know, all over the wildlife, all off of the tobacco, but we're all going to ask. And here's what I want you to do. And what do I mean that we're going to ask? And then we're going to listen. I mean that, you know, you just know inside our hearts when something feels like a good idea and when it doesn't, it's just a knowing, right? Did you ever like, mm -hmm. and they were all like, yeah. I'm like, you just know if it's a good idea or if it's a bad idea. Like it's just a feeling. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's what we're going to do. So everybody close your eyes and we're going to ask. And I'm like, and I'm going to go offer the tobacco. And then when we come back, um, well, you tell me what you think. So I went and offered tobacco and I came back and I'm like, all right, what do you think? And like six of the kids were like, yes, it's definitely a yes. And six of the other people were like, I don't know. And three more were like, yeah, yeah. And then there were three girls and they were like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not really sure. And the one girl's like, yeah, it's definitely a yes. And she goes over and she's like, no, it's a no. And she comes back. So I have like nine kids that are like, yeah, I think it's okay. And three kids that are now forlorn because they're like, I got to know. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I was like, so I feel like it's a yes, but I was like, I bet what happened is we can't take 12 flowers from this spot. We probably have to go to a different spot so that we don't over harvest in this area. So I was like, you nine stay here with counselor 
and you're each going to take one blossom, but not from the plant we just offered to you because that's the king of the meadow. We want that plant to put all its flowers out and make seeds so that it spreads. That's the strongest, healthiest plant. We want to leave that here. We don't harvest from that one. That's the rule. So you can look around and I'm like, trust in your heart, which one blossom that you're going to put and put in this bowl. And I took the three girls to a different area and I was like, okay, girls, where do you think we want to go? We went away from where that King Mullen could see where its vision ended. And they're like, this one, we think this one's the queen. I'm like, okay. And I was like, oh, interesting. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, Miss Sue, I think we need to offer the tobacco. And I was like, wow. Whoa. So I gave them the tobacco pouch and stood back and let those three make an offering and ask every single one of them comes back beaming. They're like, they said, yes. So it was such a powerful, even though it was like nervous to do this with the kids and, um, you know, like, is this going to feel weird? Is this going to think it was so much better than I could have envisioned. And those kids got the experience of feeling yes versus no, mm. of feeling right versus wrong. And, and were brave enough to stand their ground and say, it doesn't feel right when most of the crowd said it did. I was like, wow, it was such a powerful lesson for me as a human and as a teacher and talk about like fail spectacularly lesson there. You know what I mean? They were willing yeah. to fail. They were willing to fail right there. And I'll tell you what, that medicine, the next morning, my ear was better. Like it was completely gone. Like that, you know, I made an ear oil with some garlic. We infused those mullen um, flowers into some olive oil. And it was such a powerful experience for, for everybody, for a group of kids. And I'm like, I don't know if they're going to be able to be calm enough to do this. And, um, you know, so to be able to let go and listen to the plants because Mullen was very clear about that. You have not talked about me yet. And, and here's what we're going to do. <laughs> so now you got something, you got to use me. <laughs> um, you know, so, so when I, when I get a little bit like, you know, confused or unsure, like, is this real? Like, was that my imagination? You know, well, it was because that's how the rest of nature communicates with us because it doesn't all happen through uh, human logic. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so our imagination is what allows us to expand and understand the language of nature um, through felt sensation in our body. I mean, have you ever walked into a place in nature and you're like, this is holy. Like you just mm -hmm. automatically you feel safe. You you quiet yourself, you walk quieter, you stand still. Or you go into a place in in, in a city or in, in, in nature and you're like, ooh, this doesn't feel good. I don't want to be here. I don't feel safe. Um, you know, like we have these instincts, I think, that connect us with everything else. And I guess that's where my haiku came from this morning. Like, you know, we hold infinite connection within to everything else in creation. Like, we know the language of nature. When, when there's, you know, quote unquote, invasive plants, they're telling us something about what's happening on the land and with the water. I, I just, my scientific mind has shut down to other than, oh my gosh, this is an invasive plant. It's bad. It's choking out the natives. Okay. But what is it telling me? Is it just trying to get my attention that, hey, stop clear cutting here? Or is that purple loose strife in this wetland helping to clear out some of those heavy metals 
because it's one of the things that we can start to understand that nature's always working towards balance. So, you know, as a human, I, the plants are teaching me to have a little bit of humility here. <laughs> um, you know, like I, I don't understand the whole picture. Nature is so complex and mysterious and uh, there's, it has an intelligence for lack of a better way to, de to explain that, right? Like, I don't have another word to say for that. Um, you know, there's something bigger happening and I'm part of that. And what a glorious, wonderful place to be uh, to, to try to like, you know, engage that mystery and figure it out. And I think like you, you know, we, we spent a long time doing that scientific um, you know, that logical Western science observable things. And we're like, oh, but there's another layer. I'm like, I want way deeper into that next layer. I want the relationship with the land. I want to understand why the barred owl and the red tail and the crows were fighting this morning better. And, and why this one plant that should be in the right, you know, full shade, whatever climate is not working, you know, like I planted it in the right scientific spot but it died like what happened there oh you know like i want to understand that relationship better so that needs it i need to figure out how to be in direct communication with the other beings which requires that sixth sense their instincts which we've had all along or humans wouldn't have survived this long right <laughs> right like you were saying before it's like remembering that relationship and and getting back to that um that story, I just, like I had chills up my spine. <laughs> what a powerful experience to even like to be part of, um, but then to also be able to reflect on and um, to have shared with those kids, like that's going to stick with them. And that experience is going to be way more powerful than sitting them down and saying, Maulene is growing here because it, you know, is a pioneer species that will come in after wasteland. And I'm making that up, but I think it's kind of true that because <laughs> that's where I've seen Maulene growing is like right. those dingy, like sandy, you know, like, so I'm like, it's got to be a pioneer species. Um, but um, that lower, what, what seemed to be lower nourishment areas, um, in, in the environment, but it is, it is all about relationships. And I find that like, that is something that I feel like I was trying to always find. That was another part of the missing piece is like, all right, I learned about garter snake. I learned about American toad. I learned about, you know, now I'm learning about caddisfly. I'm learning about fairy shrimp, but like, how do they interact? And what is in that relationship it's a multiplying factor and it's like it's not just caddisfly and fairy shrimp and red maple growing in the water and you know the high bush blueberry growing you know surrounding and then you know the fact that the vernal pool may dry up if there's you know low precipitation year or the groundwater's not high enough or like these facts that might occur but like everything's in relationship. And so that multiplies the um, chances that something else different might happen, <laughs> that there's gonna be a different outcome that we can or cannot predict. And, and then what happens also just, what's the magic that happens among that relationship and between the, the, um, 
the factors between the fairy shrimp in the water like how are they communicating and like the caddisfly and the fairy shrimp and the water and the red maple and the like they're having a party and I want to go and like (laughs) I'm done with being a wallflower like I want to jump on the dance floor and like you know get down with all those vernal pool creatures and and like get to know them and just um really engaging in I think taking up my rightful place in that relationship because right we as you said we are nature fully agree 100 percent. like there's no denying we are made of the same elements our bodies are not last time I checked made of plastic or metal or things that are you know man-made like we are carbon-based life forms as is tree as is fox as is grass and you know um we are made from the same elements and when our form is done with this life we have the potential to return to the same elements um i'll leave it at that depending on what people um choose for for (laughs) post-life in a box or cremation or or other um and but point being, you know, we come from nature, we return from nature, we are nature, and we have that connection, and we already have that relationship. It's up to us, like, it can be our journey to find it, to, like, come back into awareness of that relationship, and, um, and, and utilize it, and enjoy it, and celebrate it, Right? Like, right. <laughs> I, I love you. Like, I want to be in that party and I'm not the wallflower anymore. I want to party with the caddisflies. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a great way to think about it. Yeah. It's kind of like we've been standing on the edge of the pond looking in. You know, that that's like a really good thing because and the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm. And I think the challenge and maybe limitation at times with Western science is we have a very reductionist way of looking things because we're curiouser and curiouser about like, what is what is this? Oh, let's reduce it down. Now we can look at it microscopic level. How how cool is that? But that microscopic snapshot of the makeup of an organism does not define that organism. Right. Like, you know. Like if I just asked one person who knows me, whether it's a very close, intimate person or somebody remotely that has met me once through a class, they don't know all of me. They know an aspect of me, just the part that they saw through the lens of who they are, their experiences, their beliefs. Did they have a good experience with me or was was, was I having a bad day? You know, <laughs> like, you know, like, nobody fully understands me. So why do I think I fully understand the plants or caddisflies or foxes? I only know what I see in that moment through what I'm willing to open up and understand. And so, you know, as, as educators, we're like, okay, we've, we've done a lot of science work and understanding ecosystems. And and we do look at the relationship in ecosystems. Like I've taught ecosystems programs. I'm sure you have too. Like we're trying Mm -hmm. to teach about those relationships, but there's a whole nother level. What's happening between that fairy shrimp and the caddisfly? What's happening between the barred owl and the red-tailed hawk? What is going on? And why is it different this year and this place in this moment? You know, like there's, there's another level 
for us to engage scientific inquiry, I think. And, you know, I think we have the potential, like, I feel like that sixth sense, our instincts, our intuition, I would call it our nature sense, frankly. Um, Mm, I I think (laughs) I I really do, because like, that's how you tune in, right? That's that inner knowing that we're all connected to. Like, I think the more that we explore and dive deeper into that, there's new opportunities for new branches of science to open up. Because, because what's happening you know, what happened with that Mullen exchange with the kids? How did we quote unquote know what felt right to harvest and what didn't? Was there chemical messages we were getting from the plants? Was there electrical messages through like magnetic fields? Was there something happening on a quantum physics level? Like, holy crow, won't that be really exciting when science figures out what that is? You know, like maybe this is the beginning of new branches of science. Like that would be awesome, right? If in like 200 years, they'll look back and they'll find this podcast. (laughs) And be like, can you believe they didn't know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I feel like, (laughs) and I feel like quantum physics, you know, is, is that larger branch that is getting us toward that because there's a lot coming out of that field right now of, you know, finding the proof to like, like you're saying, like there is evidence already, you know, indigenous wisdom is evidence-based because it's right. Evidence is cause and effect, right? Is it's very basic. And so, and, and then repeatedly when you get the same effect from the same cause. So like that has evidence but then there's this other thing we like to call proof because it's like we can't just trust what we see we need to understand the mechanism with our human minds which i don't believe is fully possible for us to understand every thing that's going on just yet like if we are nature then if we open up to understanding beyond our brains and if we open up to understanding with our hearts then yes we can understand what's going on in nature. If we understand with our hearts and our souls that exchange with Moline, then yes, we can understand how that actually happened. But I think that like, how do you put that in a scientific journal? Like, <laughs> and right, right, and a, so we get kind of stuck. <laughs> right, right. Or it gets called pseudoscience. And, and yeah. I think, I think that's like one of the things, um, you know, that I, that I see a little bit right now. And, and while I'm like, mm, let's stop and look what's going on. Um, you know, if it doesn't meet our current Western science definition, then stuff is getting thrown in the a pseudoscience category when I'm like, but wait, that person just shared their experience of what's happening on their land and you and and had scientific articles about hey this is something to look at they listed some resources they even said i'm not sure what's happening here here's some things that i that i see that's going on and you all jumped in and called it pseudoscience i'm like that's dangerous for the scientific community if we're not going to be willing to look at new ways of collecting data personal mm. experience is data you know like this is happening on my land i see these invasive species and you're telling me nobody native flora and um you know native fauna don't use it but i see the birds eating the multi-flora rose hips like you know 
that's data. We might not like it because it didn't fit into our prior hypothesis and conclusion, but isn't that science we're supposed to keep asking the questions? We never have all the answers. There's always going to be more. Like, I'm like, mm. are we forgetting the scientific part of like continuing that observation? Oh, something new, a new piece of data came in. Don't we, aren't we supposed to form a new hypothesis and do more new testing and then come to a new conclusion? And then we keep going. Isn't that how we've gotten this far? Right, right. <laughs> Who said it was supposed to stop? Okay, we've got all the information. <laughs> right, right. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so I'm like, I think we need to be careful about calling stuff pseudoscience if you if they're saying evidence based or or maybe instead of jumping to a conclusion or judgment, we could be like, tell me more about your experience or tell me why you feel this way. Like what you know, um, like invasive species are kind of like a hot button for me because I, as a medicine person, like who uses plant medicine, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, species, plant species that have been tagged as invasive in my state. And I'm like, most of them are medicine. Mm. Japanese honeysuckle, Japanese barberry, um, you know, I could go on and on. I'm like a lot of these are medicine plants. So I, can't feel like I'm at war with them if we want to start removing them from our landscapes because we want the natives to grow. I'm all all about that. I love native um, plants and native ethnobotany. I'm very supportive. I'm like, but why? I don't want to act like we're at war with them. First off, that's exhausting. And secondly, plants are plants. They're doing a plant job. They're here because we moved them. That's our human, you know, thing. Um, but like, you know, maybe they're here to offer their medicine because. Mm. Japanese honeysuckle, you know, one of the things I would use for, let's say, current situations happening in the world. Um, it's a plant that I would include in protocols for treating viruses. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, I think the plants are telling us more um, than what we're hearing. And um, I don't want to be at war with nature. So I guess I just see invasive plants um, as being like, a hot topic in my state and my area and it's it's exhausting the the conservationists i'm like this is the long game folks like let's like let's not be at war but like maybe we could use some of these indigenous perspectives of like stepping back and being like what's happening on our land what are these plants telling us maybe there's another message and that sounds like it's getting back to relationship too like what was the relationship that encouraged what we're labeling as invasives to start growing in those areas. And then what is the relationship that we can reestablish with them as a result of them being here and understanding. Exactly. And so like the, it's like missed opportunity for information. Yeah. Of yeah. just like going in and, and removal and um yeah, and it's interesting. I've started kind of shifting my tune of like automatically like, no, it's invasive. It can't be here. Um, it, just recently hearing more about it, like um, like what you're sharing, hearing people say that like offering that alternate perspective of like, no, it's not black and white. It's not this plant is only supposed to grow here. It's like it's, it becomes an opportunity to wonder, well, why is this here? And, and what are the potential benefits? Like, and the benefit could be information, 
that it's telling, or like you're saying, the loose strife extracting um, toxins and things like that. Um, and it's, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that might be like, oh my God, invasives benefits? Heck no. Because yeah. of the detriment to the native species. Right. But it's, I feel like it's just an open, it's an open opportunity for conversation and not just among people, right? right? Like conversation with the nature, with nature, like what, like you're saying, like what's going on here? Right. Yeah. And I think like, um, like the invasive species, um, they're, they're teachers and it's not just teaching. Okay. Like humans about like, all right, I, I do feel like they're trying to tell us something about what's happening on the land and probably also how to heal it if I engage in that relationship. But it's also teaching me about my own self, my perspectives, my biases, mm. and, you know, um, and, and where I'm at, like, you know, like I recognized, you know, cause I was, I'm a certified naturalist. I was all aboard, like the remove the invasives. We got to let the natives in. And then I became an herbalist and I'm like, Ooh, I have a new perspective cause that's good medicine. So maybe we could remove these invasives and turn them into medicine and appreciate them and, you know, like start engaging this differently. Um, you know, but, uh, it, it really taught me like, what my perspectives are. Cause when I'm driving down the highway and I see, you know, early spring down here, we have a, really uh, a lot of um, Bradford pears and it, it depresses most of like the people that are trying to um, cultivate native ecosystems and, and help bring them back into balance. Everybody's like all depressed and like, and I understand that. And I was like, hold on a second. I'm like, Hey guys, maybe this is just a message. This is can you not appreciate the beauty of those blossoms in springtime, in early spring? It's like, oh my gosh, flowers, thank God. (laughs) I'm like, I can be like, yeah, that's a Bradford pear. Okay, boy, that's a lot of Bradford pear. What's (laughs) happening here? But wow, those are beautiful. Like how, I I don't want to overlook the beauty of these plants because I've tagged them as invasive. Like that's my bias. That's my Western science bias. Mm. I want to, I want to hold on to that question of like, Hmm, that's an out of balance ecosystem. Maybe that's all I should see now instead of, and like, instead of invasive, like that's an ecosystem that's out of balance. How can I help? Like I'm trying to turn that question around for myself. And, and also it's way less stressful to be like, huh, what's going on? Instead of, oh my gosh, rip it out. We're at war. This is endless. <laughs> right, right. That mindset of like, there's one way to do things and that's to not have the invasives here, but then it gets that stress. I loved that and concept again, that is like, you know, we can see, we can appreciate the, um, we can appreciate the invasives for what they, the beauty that, that like uh, purple loose strife is beautiful. And I love, you know, besides the fact that it does make me sad seeing a tall strand of Phragmites in the swamp, like the way that they in the fall just kind of sway back and forth with their delicate tufts, even though they're like Dance. seven feet tall, like, and I'm like, oh, cattail should be growing there, but darn, they're gorgeous. Like, it's just, it's like ballet of reeds, you know, um, not reeds, but grasses. Um, and so it's it, like, can it be that? And can we challenge people to like appreciate a piece of it because it's a living being, right? right. So it has a right to existence. 
And so can we appreciate it and consider what is it telling us about the environment and the ecosystem and the relationship, the relationships that are going on there? And where does our responsibility actually lie? Like, and then what is the, between that triad, like what is the action, the response or the non-action? Right. in that triad like thinking of all of those things right it's a whole other way to relate to yeah. <laughs> it is and I think it's um you know it's going to be a whole lot easier to work with nature to figure this all out about bringing it back into balance rather than working against something I'm like, I've had to reframe my own, like, I'm not fighting anymore. I'm not working against things. I need to flip that and be like, what do I want to work toward? And just kind of like the time thing. And maybe, maybe that whole incident with me not being able to wear a watch and to to stop looking at the clock was about remembering that, you know, as far as nature and the trees and rocks, they're like you humans in your time series, your clocks, like, time isn't linear in the way that we think it is, you know? And so I think maybe, maybe that's part of the message about like these invasive plants as well. It's like, okay, take a pause here, humans, stop and figure it out. Like it's an invitation. Like what's going on here? Like we can figure this out. Um, but it's together. It's not, it's not us against nature. We are nature. We're part of it because we're part of it we instinctively know the language we've just forgotten we just need to practice it you know and engaging in like a relationship I think is is the way back it's at least more pleasant and less stressful in my experience thus far you know to approach it from a place of curiosity as opposed to a place of um you know battle (laughs) right and I think that brings us back to that trust and being willing to be new at reestablishing that relationship and listening to nature and remembering that communication and being open to the fact that we might get it quote unquote wrong, which really is there a wrong or is it just a different road that might take us longer, but Mm -hmm. you show me a human who likes to do things slowly (laughs) (laughs) and I'll show you a thousand that like to do things yesterday. (laughs) Right. Right. So like, I think I, it's so true. Like we need to be working with nature and there's so much ease that that can bring in. But I feel like the struggle to getting to that point is this concept that we do feel beholden to this concept of time and that like we're running out of time and that if we don't take the lead and and strong arm nature into you know getting back and on track then we're going to lose everything and to some degree yes there are species that are in peril that need immediate action um but humans like to see results Mm. like to see them quick it's really hard for us to allow things to happen in a time that is um, not quick or not like, you know, um, cause and effect. Like we do this and then we get that. 
like we we pull the plants out and then the ecosystem's gonna jump back we know it's gonna like it's gonna it's gonna be fixed instead of working with nature which has a totally different concept of time of the spiral of time and slow of time and trust that things are going to work out the way they're going to yeah that trust piece is hard and um like nature's so complex and interrelated that I think maybe this lesson about time is just about um, maybe like, okay, step back a little bit, humans, come in and, and do your, you know, pull out your Japanese honeysuckle if you want to, if you can repurpose it into medicine, that would be a beautiful thing as well. But then let it be like, there's things going on that that space is going to have to heal a little bit before you get involved. There's microbes, there's mycelial networks, there's you know, animals and all bacteria, you know, all sorts of things working in that space that, you know, can heal itself. It's all going to come back into balance. Nature knows how to balance because it knows about all its parts. And we don't, like, we don't know all the parts yet. Sometime maybe we will, but um, probably not in my lifetime, <laughs> you know, and, um, and that trust piece is hard the patience is hard. We don't have a lot of patience. We like things yesterday. We're, we like, we've been trained to be efficient. You know, we like data. We like it clear and concise and we like to control things as we can see from 2020 that we are not in our comfort zone <laughs> being out of control of things. Right. <laughs> like, like, so, oh boy. Um, I'd love to share another story with you if we have time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, cause it's about this trust thing and I had learned it, I was in herb school and we had just done our unit on Cherokee medicine and the language of the plants and learning how to, um, not only speak to the plants, but really like, listen, that concept of like re-engaging that relationship with nature that, you know, humans have always had. And, um, I finished teaching a program and I had about a half an hour before I had to like go pick up my kids from school. So it was early spring and I was like, all right, I'm just going to, you know, run around real quick and practice some uh, plant identification and just run around. I didn't have any field guides with me or anything. I just, I didn't expect to, so I didn't pack any with me. And I was just like, I'm just going to go outside and see who's coming up and, you know, feel like when spring rolls back around, it's like, my friends are back. <laughs> um, like, I'm like, hello. And um, so I was running around and I was having a good time and smelling things and touching things and being like, hey, you know, and I got down by the creek and I see this, you know, set of leaves and I'm like, oh, I was like, oh, what is that? I know, you know, I know that plant. I just can't remember. You know this feeling, right? You're like, I totally know you, mm -hmm. totally know you. I can't remember what you are, but it's early spring, but you're, you're leafing out. So it probably means you're not native, um, you know, because you're out earlier than the natives, you know, but I'm like, what? Oh, and I'm standing there staring at it. And like, in my head, I hear my teacher's voice, like, well, talk to the plant then, you know, and I'm like, oh boy. Okay. So now I have to like walk my talk, right? I'm in school for this. My teacher's teaching me. He wants to hear about our experiences. This is part of our homework. And so I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I'm looking around to make sure nobody else is around. <laughs> like, and I sit down on the path in front of this plant and, um, and I started to lean in and like, you know, touch it to get a better, better look at its underside. And I, and I stopped and I'm like, no, I'm not going to touch you. Like, I'm not going to touch you. Um, and so I was taught like in your mind, he's like, you don't have to say it out loud. He's like, introduce yourself to the plant and 
Um, you know, if you have some tobacco or some water or a prayer or song or, you know, something, offer something to the plant and ask to communicate. So I kind of did that. And I'm like, you know, hi, I'm Sue. I, I work here. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure we've met before. Um, you, you feel really familiar. Like, I just can't remember your name. Like, you know, I was wondering, um, you know, I gave it some Reiki. I was like, I just wonder if you might be willing to talk to me. And I'm, and I'm sitting there and I'm feeling ridiculous, right? Because I'm this science girl naturalist sitting on the floor, you know, talking on, on the floor of the, the earth, talking to this plant. And in my head, I hear, if I had the chance, I would kill you in like a Russian accent. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'm like, what is going on? I was like, wow, Sue, you're losing it. You're losing it. And I'm like, and then I was like, wait a minute, did that plant just talk to me? Like, because, you know, David said that the plants would communicate in, in like subtle ways. Like it might be through like voices in your head. It might be a smell. It might be a feeling in your body, a sensation. Sometimes like you might get tingles or you might just your emotions, like they'll speak to us through our emotions. Like you'll feel things, pay attention to your body, pay attention to thoughts that come in. Like this was the teaching. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I think that plant just talked to me. And then I was like, wait, did it just tell me it would kill me? Like, what the heck? And I was like, okay, okay. Recenter, like I'm a meditator. So I'm like, I'm like, all right, breathe, breathe. Let's start again. And just like do over, right? Like <laughs> do over. And I'm like, okay. So I go again. I'm like, hi, me again. Sorry, I think you talked to me, but I really want to make sure I heard you correctly. So I'm sure it's me and not you, but I was wondering if you would tell me your name, you know, like what the humans call you, like what, like we know each other and I just can't remember and I don't have my field guide and I want to be respectful. And in my head, I hear the same thing. If I had the chance, I would kill you. And I'm like, uh, okay, what? I'm dumbfounded. I am like, I'm losing it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this plant talked to me. Like my, my teacher will be very proud. Maybe he can help me with this because I don't know what it's talking about. I was like, but what? I was like, I don't know. And then I, I look at my watch because back then this is before I gave up the time. I'm like, I got to go. I'm like, I have to go pick up my kids. I'm like, I'm coming back here with a field guide tomorrow. I, thank you for talking to me. I appreciate it. I'm sorry I didn't understand you. I'll figure this out. I'll come back and work with you. And I take three steps towards my car. And my brain goes, hmm, you know, that leaf looked an awful lot like wild carrot. And I'm like, what? It can't be wild carrot. It's March. I walk back to that plant. I'm like, I know who you are. You're poison hemlock. <gasps> wow. <laughs> and went back with the field guide next day. And for sure, that's what it was. If I had the chance, I would kill you. That was how this plant communicated with me. So it was not, I am poison hemlock or it's, you know, conia maculatum. <laughs> you know, it didn't right. <laughs> give me its Latin name. That's not what plants call themselves. They don't call themselves white. That's not how they identify. If I had the chance, I would kill you in this like Russian accent. It was very clear. And I was like, wow, mind blowing, mind blowing. And so, but I look back at that. I had been walking around the whole area, touching, smelling, tasting, 
other things, my instinct was to not even touch that plant. Mm. So there's a part of me that knew this, like this is part of our natural heritage of being a part of nature. Like it's our birthright to know the plants and to know the language. We just, especially those of us have a very logical, linear Western science mind. We're just like, this is how it is. And now I'm like, that's not how it is. Wait, there's more, <laughs> there's more data. <laughs> so, so that trust, I was like, that was a pretty big lesson <laughs> on we do know the language. We just have to remember, we have to allow and allowing myself to have an experience that is not logical is the hardest part. Cause I'll gaslight myself, you know, be like, talk myself out of like, that was your imagination. Well, yes, yes that's how other ways of communication happens. <laughs> right. 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 There is that element of self-trust. So that was the first plant I talked to, poison hemlock. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a first one. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> is the full initiation. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's incredible. It is you know. amazing. Like, it's such a beautiful example of like what can happen when we, like you're saying, allow. Like, you know, what what is the potential what are the possibilities if we quiet our expectations or our preconceived knowings yes and just allow open up to the wonder and yeah. and allow and just see you know be available to what comes through that's engaging the mystery, oh, right? It so is. <laughs> I think that is a beautiful, beautiful place to wrap up. <laughs> so oh my goodness. Um, so much. I feel like we could keep talking for hours. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so do you have any last words of wisdoms or suggestions or quick um maybe like a quick activity for anyone who's like okay yeah that's all great but you know you both have been teachers for you know what together maybe like three or four decades like if we combine our teaching experience <laughs> so like for a person who's listening that's interested in engaging the mystery and looking for a place to start um if it's okay for me to put you on the spot <laughs> I feel like there were a couple of things that mentioned throughout, like just sitting out quietly, being open to nature, having a sense of wonder. Is there something that um, jumps to the front of your mind? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, all of that. I, and I'm a meditator. So I think that helps quiet the monkey mind. And I'm totally not successful at quieting the monkey mind all the time. So um, lifetime practice, right? <laughs> lifetime. I mean, yeah, at least 30 years. But, um, you know, it's a practice for a reason, because someday I'll get really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the, the hardest um, changes to make was we can sit quietly in nature and we can enjoy the beauty of it and things I think is... Um, learning how to interpret our body is giving us messages about what's going around what's going on all around us and so if i wanted to start to connect with a plant either go pick one of my favorite plants or go pick a plant i don't know because then my brain's out of it 
Like mm. what's this, what's this weed that came up in my yard before I go judge it and, and look at it. Let me go sit with this plant and intentionally, you know, make an offering to it, give it some water, um, say hello, thank you, fertilizer, something that it needs. Um, and, an offer to start a relationship. You know, my name is Sue. I'm, I'm curious about you. I see you just popped in my yard. I'd like to know a little bit more about you. Would you be willing to speak with me? And then to sit quietly and um, maybe take some deep breaths, whatever it is that helps you center, feel connected to the earth, like feel, um, you know, the earth underneath of you. Sit on the ground if you can. Um, close your eyes and listen to the the voices of nature that are happening at the time, feel the sun or the rain, um, feel what's around you, and then pay attention to any thoughts that pop into your head, any emotions that come up. Memories um, are a good thing. Like sometimes oh. that's a plant, um, the way plants can act. Um, you know, I know a, a person, she was teaching um, her herb students how to connect with plants and uh, the one woman didn't think she got it. She said, I just sat down when you gave us the exercise and I just started crying and missing home. She had just moved from another country. Um, she's like, I didn't get the exercise at all. And the teacher's like, show me which plant you are working with. And, um, and it was uh, butterfly weed, pleurisy root. And she was like, you totally got the message. That plant works on the lungs, which is where we hold our grief. Like you started crying, that plant helped you. You absolutely connected with the plant. So, um, yeah, so sometimes it's memories or it's emotions or it's sensations in our bodies. Do we feel tingly? Do we feel buzzy? Do we feel just different? So it's, it's about maybe assessing how you feel before, during, and after the exercise. Maybe it's a good way. Data, right? So have a journal. Right. Data. <laughs> and then repeat it. And then, you know, um, and then maybe write down, like, what's the phase of the moon when I'm doing this? What season is it? Make sure you write mm. the date, the time of day. Like there's circadian rhythms, there's seasonal rhythms. There's there's so much data we could be collecting. Like how cool right. would that be? But really to, to trust yourself, like whatever happens is fine. And if nothing happens or it seems like nothing happens, it's also fine. Sometimes, right. you know, yes. <laughs> it doesn't mean nothing did happen. It means we didn't perceive it because it's very subtle, mm. you know, but I bet the next time something more will happen. Or we'll have an understanding, or we'll have a dream, or we'll meet somebody who told us suddenly something about this plant, and you're like, oh, you know, or you start seeing that plant everywhere. Right, that delayed interaction, mm -hmm. like that's still clues that you're building that relationship when you start to see whatever it is, whether it's plants or animals or an element, yeah. you know, working with stone or water or whatever, like it pops up everywhere. <laughs> it does, right? And isn't that like how it is with like our human relationships? We feel like an attraction towards certain people. So then we pursue those relationships. It can be the same way with nature. Mm. We're going to have plants and animals that we like and don't like, right? We don't get along with every human either. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so so follow that attraction and and work with it. Play with it. Fail spectacularly yes. and try again. Play. Play. <laughs> right? When it all comes down to it, play with the experiences. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. So before we go, I want to thank you so much, Sue. This has been amazing. And I'm excited as soon as I um, end our chat today to go right out the door in my raincoat and, <laughs> and go talking to some creatures, some beings. Okay. Um, 
before we go, I would like to offer you the opportunity to just share um, if people were interested in finding out more about you or contacting you or following you and what you're what you're up to. Um, what what would you like to to offer? Um, well, like everybody else from like pandemic and 2020, I'm kind of restructuring my life. And, uh, you know, as you and I had talked about, I'm kind of in the dream time of, um, you know, my work is shifting into this deeper level of relationship with nature. And also, um, uh, I'm trying to build a new website and struggling through that. So I'm going to go back and start simply. And um, I have an old uh, WordPress uh, blog website, which um, we'll put in the show notes. And um, I can be reached via email at heartofnature33 at gmail.com. Um, I anticipate offering classes on um, connecting with nature, learning how to read our land, um, some things that might be more of what people think are, are like shamanic type practices, for lack of a better word. Um, but I, I consider myself to be like a a medicine keeper of the earth and um, through the teachings that I've received from my um, indigenous and clinical people and Western science and all the things that I'm weaving this into my own understanding and experience to share. Um, I've started doing artwork in the past year. So I'm now drawing the plants and I find that when I really connect with the medicine plants um, and I'm drawing them, I get another sense and another level of who they are. So um, I really want to start introducing some artwork and meditation and things into like uh, the med medicinal plant classes and things like that. So I have a lot to develop yet. So, uh, but I'm resurrecting that old blog. Um, there's some, some good like nature walks and things out there before. So um, I'm starting over again, but more stuff will be coming. Right. And that trust, right? <laughs> You're yes, trusting the timing of the unfolding of yourself. <laughs> exactly. Re-unfolding, right? Aren't we constantly right. like re-unfolding ourselves? Right. You can't force a bloom or it doesn't bloom right, right? Yeah. You know, you can't help a, um, a butterfly unfold its wings. It has to do the work. It has to pump the blood, you know, yeah. the yeah or it ruins in it so yeah um, so I love how you're honoring that in yourself and just allowing like giving yourself that space to just dream and allowing things to to manifest in their time yeah it, it's a practice because I'm not good at it yet but I'm getting there yes <laughs> I hear you <laughs> I have to keep practicing yes oh that is so awesome but thank you for having me on. It's been a delight. Yes. Thank you so much, Sue. And listeners, thank you for joining us. Um, and information will be in the show notes from our chat today. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. I am so inspired by Sue's stories and her reframing. This whole conversation was just so, so wonderful. I'm so grateful that she spent the time with me today and, and I was able to share her wisdom with you. And some of the things that stuck out for me during our conversation while we explored engaging the mystery was this concept of being willing to fail and engaging our newness in something and really holding on to the fact that it's okay to be not good at something when we're new. I think that's so important. I know I'll be sitting with that for some time. Um, I also really enjoyed um, how we kept coming back to trust, learning to trust ourselves, 
um, supporting others and learning to trust themselves, trusting nature, and establishing that sixth sense and allowing that sixth sense, that nature sense as she calls it, um, to come forth. And finally, re-engaging our relationship with nature. It's gonna take a whole lot of trust to get there. Um, and there's so many people that are modeling that very thing. And Sue is definitely, definitely one of them. So I thank you again so much for joining us today. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Um, you can find information about reaching out to Sue or myself in our show notes. And I hope to see you next time.